Hi, my name's Rage Girl, and I'm running for president. My platform is immortality for everyone or die trying. Now, show me the meaning! Hell yeah. <laughs> that guy for president. That guy What's for president. Uh, I think he said his name was Rachel, but, you know, I had everybody call in and give their own show me the meaning yells and Dude, this was nice. our Mr. Rachel if that is in fact his name was our first contestant so <laughs> what's up everybody welcome to show me the meaning wisecracks movie podcast uh, my name is Jared and I'm joined here by the show me the meaning crew we got Ryan in studio what finally. up film fans it's great to be back and with us today we have a wisecrack writer that you guys have probably never seen before we have Tommy Cook with us Tommy is a dear friend of the company and someone that Ryan and I both went to college with. How's it going, Tommy? I'm good. Thank you for having me for the first time. <laughs> yeah, so Tommy has written a number of our videos. Tommy's also a film critic for Collider or reporter. What would you call yourself? I'm more freelance, but yeah. Freelance something yeah, for freelance Collider. Something. Welcome, Tommy. Oh, Welcome, thank Tommy. you, Ryan. And he uh, also has been a writer's assistant on a number of network TV shows. So he's a yes. real legit pro here that oh, we have. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, today we're going to be talking about The Punisher Warzone, the 2008 Hell film yeah. directed by Lexi <laughs> Alexander, starring Ray Stevenson and Dominic West. Uh, by the way, did you know that Lexi Alexander is a girl who used to be an MMA? I did know yes. all of that because Lexi Alexander fucking rules i uh, i'd never heard of out her. of Who control is, she's who, very prominent on twitter so yeah oh, see i'm not on twitter mm. so i don't know these things but <laughs> I love uh, as always let's go around and get first impressions what was it like the first time you saw this movie what's like revisiting it for this podcast let's start with ryan um i believe we watched this for the first time together do we not i had seen it before I know I maybe, told you to watch it. Okay, maybe you were the one that begged me to watch it, and man, I'm glad I did. I'm I I feel like I have to obligatorily say this every time we have a superhero movie. I don't like superhero movies, <laughs> but this one is awesome. Okay, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, like like I think Lexi Alexander just came into the material just totally from a different point of view and made a. I would call it the darkest comedy version of a. It's a super dark comedy, but super brutal and. Um, what more? You know, here's how much I love this movie so much. I could have gone to see Limp Biscuit tonight at the Troubadour, uh, uh, but instead, I came here because I love Punisher Warzone and I wanted to talk about it with you guys. So that, I can't tell I if you're being just... sarcastic about Limp Biscuit. No, I, I, yeah, they're playing tonight. It was a th three dollars <laughs> well, no, show, y'all. <laughs> three dollars <laughs> show. Yeah, that's a steal. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what's like revisiting it? It was amazing, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, um, it was funny because uh, uh, I wouldn't recommend this for most movies, but like sometimes when we watch these movies or I rewatch these movies for the podcast, I, I watch them on like a little bit faster speed. This movie is hilarious to watch at like one point three speed, you know, because everything is just so much more just like rapid fire and and brutal. Okay. So um, that that's my was my big takeaway from the rewatch was watch it faster. You can skip the dialogue. Good that to way. know. Yeah. yeah. No, you you can still hear the dialogue. It's just a little. It's just a little, tiny bit. Chip oh, believe key. me, when we do have an episode on an anime that has like sixty episodes, I'm very familiar with one point three speed. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tommy. What about you? What was like the first time you saw this movie? Yeah, this is the second 
second time I've seen this movie. Um, so the first time I saw it, um, when this movie was actually released, I remember it got really terrible reviews. Yeah. And like Lionsgate buried it, as I recall. Like it was just like barely in theaters. Mm-hmm. So like when I first saw it, I had heard just heard rumblings of actually the the sort of the the cult following had like just begun. So like online, I was hearing like, oh, you know. Punisher Warzone is actually pretty good. Everyone's wrong. And me being the, uh, me needing to be contrarian was like, oh, I cannot wait to like Punisher Warzone. So the first time <laughs> I, I saw it, I was sort of, uh, I think I was a little underwhelmed. Um, I didn't really think much of it. Um, and then this second viewing of it, um, I've now come onto the side of a, Really not liking this movie. Really and not really, liking. Yeah. So you didn't like oh, it. Now really, you like now it even less. I, I like this it even be a less. Celebration I know. of this. Movie. I know. I didn't want to bring everybody down, yeah, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. You got to keep it real. I, uh, I really just don't quite get this movie. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So the first time you saw it, it was already on DVD. You didn't go see it. The yeah. No, I saw it on DVD, and I thought I, I I just sort of put it aside. Like I watched it, and I was like, well, okay, whatever. Yeah. And now the second time, I've now really come to dislike it. Interesting. I... <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so I actually am the only one out of us three who saw it in the theaters. Mm. And I actually had the opposite experience that you had. I was... There was a friend in town. This is back when I was in high school. Or no, 2008. So I was back probably back home from college at like winter break or something like that. And all my friends, big group of friends, said we we're going to go see a movie... And for some reason, the only movie that we could all agree on was Punisher Warzone, and I was pissed <laughs> because, because I saw the first Punisher movie, didn't like it, and I had seen the reviews on this one, and like Tommy said, at least initially, the reviews were abysmal, and so I was like, God damn it, I'm going to get dragged to this movie that's probably just going to be like the shittiest of superhero movies. And the first time something kind of darkly hilarious happened, I was totally taken off guard, and it still to this day was one of the most fun experiences at the movies for me, simply because I was with a group of friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. I went in there thinking I was going to have a horrible time and hate every second of it. And, and when we were all of a sudden like presented with this movie that kind of is a dark comedy or kind of mm-hmm. plays with dark comedy elements, mm-hmm. that just made it all the funnier for the fact that we weren't even sure if we should be supposed to be laughing or not. <laughs> yeah, because so, I've never seen a sequel that totally goes off on a, another fork like yeah. from the mm-hmm. first one. Because the first one is darker. It does not it, – it takes itself a little more seriously or yeah. a lot more seriously. It's more like a you know heavy metal. Do you guys know if Lexi Alexander, if that was just her – because. I, I can see a version of this where the script just reads like a straightforward Punisher movie and then she comes in and adds jokes and inserts and stuff like that and just dramatizes things to make it that much darker I, and excessively violent. I do think it's Lexi Alexander. Like I feel like – because the sort of pre-production of this was they wrote the script or they wrote like multiple different scripts and Thomas Jane was attached to the project. And then after the script was submitted to Thomas Jane, he was like, I'm out of this. Like I don't want to touch this <laughs> shit. Interesting. <laughs> and like I think they went to like multiple different directors for this movie. And I I think Lexi Alexander first passed on the script as I recall. They finally ended and up then, on an <laughs> MMA fighter? <laughs> but they finally okay. – like she like finally agreed to do it. Via you know whatever her pitch was, so I have to think that it was her that okay. came up with this sort of uh, very very sort of comical take on the material. I, well, I uh, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before. I uh, um, I have a kind of a personal connection to this because I interned for Avi Arad, the producer of this movie, um, back in the day. 
10 years ago now. Fuck. You guess, um, tell us a bit of who Avi Arad is. He's, he ba- he, his story is really uh, cool in Hollywood. Or He has a weird story where, where he was the president of Marvel for a while back in the early 90s. He was president of other toy companies for a while. And then uh, uh, somehow became the president of Marvel. And then, uh, uh, and then through a bunch of... Uh, Marvel and Sony had a whole thing, you know, where like Sony owns some stuff and Marvel owns some stuff. And basically, uh, at the end of the day, I think Avi Arad even sued Marvel and somehow ended up with like the rights to Spider Man and other things like that. So a, a lot of the Sony Spider Man stuff is Avi Arad. And then, you know, I don't think he's looked too highly upon in the uh, Kevin Feig part <laughs> of the MCU anymore. But anyway, so so he has like all these properties, and he's kind of like just always notorious for just trying to tinker with them and trying to figure out new th- ways to do stuff. Well, because he has to make a movie every yeah, two years yeah, to yeah. maintain the IP rights. That's yes. why there are so many <laughs> Spider-Man movies. Exactly. And so then the Punisher, I feel like he he probably just being around him, he probably was just like, oh yeah, this will be a good, a weird, unique spin. We'll get an MMA fi- uh, female fighter to come and direct this hardcore testosterone film. Wait, but didn't movie? you tell me? I remember back in the day you told me that this was his son Arya Rod's maiden voyage. Baby, yes, that's <laughs> yes. The, oh yeah, that, I forgot about that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for reminding me, Jerry. Yeah, his son, who's really cool guy, Arya Rod. Yeah, this was like his big uh, uh, first movie, and I think he's. Kind of, it's kind of looked at as a big fuck up. In uh, hindsight, yeah, because yeah, it didn't make any money. But they, anyway, they I, I rewatched this movie this time, and got to be honest, it's not as epic as I remember it because I. Re- oh, what? Mm. You didn't watch it at one point three speed? No, I watched it at one point zero speed. Oh, that's where you went wrong. And I, the egregious, hilarious violence is pretty few and far between. I remember it being all the time, but there are pretty long 45-minute segments of just dialogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I still think the movie's super interesting, and I'm excited to talk about it in detail. So without further ado, let's go into a recap. So, Man shoots people. <laughs> the I, you know, I wish, I wish, but there's so many character names to keep track of in this movie. All right, so vigilante Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher, kills the leader of an Italian crime family, leaving top earner Billy the Butte to take the reins. When the Punisher pursues Billy to a warehouse, he accidentally kills an undercover cop and pushes Billy to a glass compactor, grossly deforming him and turning him into the villain Jigsaw. Hell yeah, that was awesome. Upset over the death of the undercover officer, Detective Paul Budiansky, hope I'm getting that right, joins the Punisher task force to take Frank down. While the Punisher also laments the officer's death, Jigsaw looks to recover some lost money from the officer's surviving wife, Mrs. Donatelli, and daughter Grace, whom the Punisher has taken an interest in protecting. The Punisher gets arrested and teams up with Budiansky. Jigsaw and his goons break into Mrs. Donatelli's house, but the Punisher and Budiansky arrest him and hide Mrs. Donatelli and Grace in the Punisher's lair. Jigsaw snitches on a group of terrorists in exchange for his release, recaptures Mrs. Donatelli and Grace, and starts building an army. Frank infiltrates Jigsaw's base, annihilates all the armies, kills Jigsaw, and saves the Donatellis. End of movie. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Not quite meta, but anyway. All right, guys. So one of the reasons why I was inspired to talk about this film is because, and, and this isn't a, uh, there's a news story that came to my attention that one of our writers mentioned that uh, is not necessarily super recent, but kind of ca- it, it kind of disturbed me. Did you guys hear that in 2017 there were two different police departments, one in New York and one in Eastern Kentucky, in which the cops would put decals of the the Punisher logo decal on top of their cop car. (laughs) I I didn't know that. (laughs) So, of course, this is asinine because the Punisher is a vigilante who acts outside the law in order to enforce his personal brand of justice. His entire conceit is that he's a vengeance-driven antihero who acts as judge, jury, and especially executioner. And that's the exact opposite of of what cops should aspire to be which is to act as none of those things. But so that caused a little bit of a shitstorm. The decals ended up going away. But it, it brought to this kind of bigger conversation about how seriously should we take superheroes? And not at all. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, zero percent. We also talked about in vam- our, our Vampire's Kiss podcast. You've, have you seen Vampire's Kiss? I have seen Vampire's Kiss. So we oftentimes, or in a couple, we mentioned this in our Nick Cage video, but we likened that movie to American Psycho, because American Psycho in both both movies are essentially about making fun of 80s yuppie corporate culture. Mm-hmm. But Patrick Bateman is kind of this figure that people kind of pseudo want to emulate, whereas Nicolas Cage's character is just so bizarre and so crazy that you can't identify with him. And I think that, and maybe I'm getting to going a little bit too far here, but I think this movie kind of accomplishes something similar. Hmm. This film is certainly a departure from the kind of prestige, serious versions of superheroes that we've seen of late, especially the Punisher that we see on Netflix. And even when we have these morally compromised superheroes, we're still asked to identify with them, you know, like Thanos, for example. And in the case of the Punisher, when he's depicted with such venerance, we can't help but root for his brand of justice, especially in the Netflix series. But I feel like this, because it's so ridiculous and because, especially in a couple parts like with the violence, it's so alienating that you don't walk away from this movie saying, wow, I want to be like the Punisher or I see my struggles in the Punisher. That's so because I get the opposite thing. Like this really? is one of the few vigil like usually in like a vigilante movie, it's like vigilante versus the police, where there's like the police is like, oh, we can't have, you know, Batman saving the day, or we can't have, you know, you know, whoever, you know, killing innocent people on the streets. In this movie, the police work hand in hand with the Punisher. Like literally they just like it's on the yeah, it's under the table, but they're all sort of in the pocket of the Punisher. Like everybody is just on the Punisher's side. No one is really questioning the Punisher, other than maybe the Colin Salmon, the FBI guy's character. Okay. But even he, it's like very like like within like ten minutes, he's on the Punisher's side. Yeah, the cops so, are I mean, kinda like enablers. I like, can see there's that. nobody that's that's against him, so but I guess I'm thinking more aesthetically because I feel like the interesting thing about this movie is that it has this grim aesthetic and color palette mm-hmm. that most of your hard-boiled, super serious, prestige superhero movies have. But with characters and lines and violence that undercuts this, and I think that's pretty interesting. So let's first talk about the violence. Let's. <laughs> it's so great. it is... 
egregiously over the top. <laughs> the way to I put the, it the, I, I spent some time just like, how do I exactly define or describe the violence in this movie? And the best way I can do that is saying that there's like this extra performative irreverence for life. Like, it's not only do mm-hmm. people die, but there's like this extra kind of fuck you to the to the killing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of can't help but invite laughter. We talked about something similar when we talked about the John, John Wick. Uh. You know, how we see this guy just mowing down tens of people and not even blinking an eye. And at some point, you just can't help but laugh. And I feel like that's what this movie accomplishes a I, lot. I kind of wish that the violence in John Wick was like the violence in Punisher Warzone. Because <laughs> it is another degree. I mean, yeah, it's hardcore it in John Wick, but it is super brutal. Without, It's like mm-hmm. less than trauma level of schlocky violence, but it's like... You know, th- you see their faces cave in an extra millisecond more than you would in a John Wick movie, you know? Or just a I face caving in at all. Yeah, <laughs> true. So, I mean, I'm curious what you think, Tommy. Like, so uh, taking all the other elements of the film, the narrative perhaps you don't like, but what about the, the violence? Did it tickle you at all? Did you ever find it funny? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously every kill is played for laughs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is funny. I mean, but they are sort of few and far between a little bit. Yeah, like, and not they, as it, much as I remember, Yeah, and it becomes a little bit of the sameness. Like, once you see, like, there's a numbing effect to the violence, at least for me in this movie. Like, once I see the Punisher, you know, stab somebody in the face with a chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't tickle not... <laughs> No, it tickles me. But then when he shoots somebody in the face in the third act, it's like, well, okay. That wasn't as good as the first act stab with the chair. It's uh, it's diminishing returns for me, at least in terms of the violence in this movie. I I will say to that effect, I, I agree with you in this sense. I think that they keep it pretty uh, have a nice variety of brutal violence throughout. But the, when he throws the last bad guy, he's, he 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 takes the last bad guy, put, puts a spear through him, and then throws him on the fire. I mean, that's not as cool as the fucking ice, uh, glass thing we saw. In the first one, you should either throw them back into the glass and make it worse and have other more <laughs> fucked up shit. You should amp it up. I mean, fire, who cares? Mm-hmm. Spear, whatever. Glass was fucked up 10 minutes into the movie. <laughs> so I agree. Yeah. Continue. I want to go into such as some of the specific things that happen in this movie. So he kills a single man with a grenade launcher while he's in the middle of a parkour move. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that was the first one. No, no, no. The first one is when he kills the the mafia crime lord. And by the way, I remember, I don't know if you still stand by this, but I remember at the time when you were working for Avi Arad, you told me that that initial old crime boss was doing an Avi Arad impression. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Really? So he sounds like that, even though he's not Italian? I mean, well, Avi Arad is he's, Israeli. He's, he's Israeli, and, he, and, yeah. and but he has this very like Godfather voice. Really? Like, oh, like oh, hey Ryan, give me some dried mangoes, please, from the <laughs> cupboard, and a oh, diet, I didn't know that. Pe- diet Dr. Pepper. Thank you. <laughs> he's a very nice guy. Oh, that's hilarious! I didn't know that. <laughs> um, another good part is. Uh, you think that Frank is about to spare a guy after he tells him the information that oh, he that needs. Part's awesome. But then it cuts to him being thrown on a spike five stories down, and then the Punisher jumps down and lands on his neck, totally breaking his neck. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Um, I don't know. Something 
about this really speaks to me. In me that, too. In, in that, in that, <laughs> you just want to throw someone on a spike and then... Because what the Punisher does is fucked up, you know? And we should... And, and that should be highlighted. It's not romantic. Wait, mm-hmm. you mean in that instance or just in general what he does The is idea of up. the Punisher is fucked up. Okay, well, in that specific instance, is really fucked up, and it's and it kind of is but, really subverts what most people do in movies. You know, it's well, like, I know, but, but, right, but I'm going to put I, my I guess, gun away, and then the next thing you see is on a spike. Right. Really I guess funny. what I'm arguing is it. that yeah, the absurdity highlights that hey, the Punisher is a fucked up dude. You know that right now with the Punisher on Netflix, he is this romanticized, morally compromised antihero that we all. Basically, God, you know, if I was in that situation, I would do that too. And I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying that, oh, that's socially irresponsible and we should take Netflix Punisher down. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that this movie, the enjoyable elements, just cast superheroes and in a different light that's kind of interesting and perhaps even cast it in a light that uh, that the characters deserve to be cast in. Do you- Do you identify with any characters in this movie then? Well, you know, that's actually another point I wanted to bring Mm. up later is that... uh, (laughs) Because I would actually argue that Jigsaw is sort of the protagonist of this movie. Really? To a certain extent. I think he's actually (sighs) But that's just because the movie's bad, right? Well, well, he's the driving force in this movie in terms of plot stuff. Like, the Punisher is very reactive to whatever Jigsaw is doing. And... uh, Well, uh, um, to that point, like, like, well... Really, to both of y'all's points, th- there's two kinds of superheroes, right? There's the kinds that uh, that kill, and then there's the kinds that don't kill, you know? And I feel like those are the, – the kinds that kill are always making a point about how they kill. You know, like there's Ju- Judge Dredd, there's Punisher, there's De- Deadpool. And, then, like, that's intrinsic to their character that they don't wait for fucking justice. They're not, you know, like uh, they're going to take matters in their own hands, and that's a big – you're supposed to wonder, you know, the – is well, Judge Dredd is a good comparison because I haven't seen the one with Sylvester Stallone, but I did see the most recent one. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. And that movie is also a bit ridiculous. Yeah. And it's self-aware in its ridiculousness. Yeah. And I think that it kind of accomplishes something similar in that, yeah, you go away with kind of a testosterone high of like, fuck yeah, you know, just like, <laughs> follow the law, bitch. I but... <laughs> <laughs> That, that's the premise of Judge Never Dredd. Never seen that yeah. come out of you, Terry. <laughs> uh, but it's meant to be taken as a bit silly, which I think yeah. is an important distance to create. Mm-hmm. And you don't think you think that this is just not? It's not silly, or what? What is this? No, I think Punisher. this is th- silly. Oh, yeah. I guess the thing I'm contrasting it to is like the Netflix Punisher. Gotcha. Who is like this, once again, kind of romanticized, tragic figure. Yeah, which is more serious. You're supposed to really wonder about. Now, I should say this. I should stipulate I've only seen season one and the Daredevil season two that he's prominent in. So I haven't seen season two of The Punisher. So have you seen any of it? I've seen the first season. I haven't seen the second one. Okay. So, I mean, they might address this in ways that I'm not aware of. So just making that stipulation. Um, another good point, another part I like is uh, how nobody really reacts very strongly when a guy gets a wine glass through his neck when Jigsaw is meeting with the Russians. They stand, Jared. They stand up. And then they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The same thing basically happens in The Dark Knight with the pencil thing. <laughs> yes. uh, but somehow, like, tonally, it works. Like, we, uh, you know, like, that never 
is ridiculous, or at least like cartoonishly ridiculous, mm-hmm. like like this is. The pencil thing wasn't ridiculous to you? <laughs> it was funny, but yeah, it, was it, didn't, it didn't break the reality of the scene for me, like like this, like which happens regularly in this movie. It, I, I never am like th- thinking that the reactions are are too subdued. I mean, I'm more just shocked by the violence, and then I, you know. Yeah, I mean, this was a, are you a minor them example. To go, oh shit. That guy got a wine through, bottle through his head. Or like, hey, is he still alive? I don't know. Oh, I've, okay. I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen that scene so many times where you're where the people are at a table and there's one person who's daring to talk back to the boss. It's like the Kill Bill scene or anything like that. You're just like, oh, it's not. It's not a question of like if this person's gonna die. It's a question of how this person's right, gonna die. Right, but Kill Bill is similarly has comedic el- has comedic yes. elements. Anyway, uh, this is one of my favorites. Jigsaw's brother, Looney Bin Jim, has a hospital worker that feeds him applesauce. This hospital worker takes one bite of the applesauce to make it look appetizing to Looney Bin Jim. And then once freed, Looney Bin Jim proceeds to tear him apart with his bare hands because he, quote, wants his applesauce back. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember busting out laughing in the theater when that happened. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Another part, I'm curious if you guys found this funny. So Frank's friend who is taxed to protect Mrs. Donatelli and Grace in the lair, he gets axed in the chest twice and is somehow still alive hours after the blows mm-hmm. were dealt. He's missing an arm. I don't know if you've noticed that. He's like oh, literally half his like body is hanging off of him. Yeah. I remember <laughs> laughing about that in the theater when I was watching this by myself. I was like – and there are a couple times in the movie where I'm like – is this supposed to be funny or uh, not? Oh, I think I think they're oh, yeah. very aware. They're oh, hyper no, they aware are. that this is funny. Yeah. Okay. So and then the other one that Ryan already mentioned is uh, the Punisher crushing a guy's face with a punch, mm. which is pretty glorious to watch. <laughs> wow. Uh, now I want to talk about parts that are more explicitly comedic. So – I think the biggest, maybe one of the biggest tell-alls about how this movie is going to perhaps undercut the seriousness is the casting of Frank's sidekick. I don't know the guy's real name. I'm always going to call him Newman. What, Wayne, Wayne Knight? Wayne Knight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's weird, right? Uh, He's just a I, funny guy. Yeah, I feel like this is like a, another trope of like these superhero movies where it's like, if you look in Daredevil, like Kevin Smith is, I think, like uh, Ben Affleck's like go-to guy. Uh, and like, yeah. uh, to sort of cue in James Bond is sort of the, the comic relief, I guess, of that series. But even Kevin Smith in Daredevil is dressed up like a scientist. He mm-hmm. He looks like he's playing the part, but... You don't buy Wayne Knight as an arms dealer? No, I don't. I really don't. But that's the thing is that he's yeah. supposed to not look like an arms yeah. dealer because he's supposed to be like in hiding, you know? Like, like you don't want an arms dealer to look like an arms dealer. You want Maybe. him to look like Wayne Knight. <laughs> so when you saw that, you didn't think that it was kind of part of the comedy or – Oh, yeah. Oh, you but, did? Okay, that's yeah, all I'm trying I mean, to say. Comedic effect, but I mean – but I also bought the, the character too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also one of the few people to actually play this movie straight, I think, Wayne Knight. Like, uh, I don't feel like he's going for the jokes in this movie, oddly enough. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. play it up like there's the the other cop character, the blonde cop, yeah. who is kind of the goofy cop comic yeah, relief. Da- yeah, Dash Wayne... Mihawk goes big in this one. <laughs> Wayne Knight doesn't really yeah. have to, though. Yeah, yeah but everybody else his is. his existence dump, is a Dominic... meme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's already Newman. Imagine yeah. being Newman 24-7. There's also a part where fat guy in the toilet's head explodes. That one was real weird. 
Wait, he's in the elevator shaft, right? I, oh, he's on I the elevator. I love yeah. that one. That one is so funny. That was just short and sweet. You yeah. know, see, you I never think, see that guy again. He's one second and he explodes. Like, if you were to take that moment out of context, is good. But, like, I started to, like, think about it. Like, this guy is just sitting in the elevator. All the these, like, gunfights are going on outside. And then he's surprised when Castle opens up the the doors and shoots him, like what was he thinking was going to happen? Was is he like surprised? Like he didn't hear the gunfire? Yeah, for one, is this elevator shafts are soundproof? <laughs> Very, but the, it's know? it's open. It, there's a there's an opening in the because well, Castle sees the smoke coming out. That's how he gets him. Right. Oh yeah, because he's smoking. Yeah, he's smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's sitting there. You know, he's a fat just, guy. Just having he's just a... chilling while everyone else is shooting. Yeah, is that like the... he's trying to wait it out, and then he's like, "Oh shit!" Like I didn't hide. Like, look, I'm yeah. not trying to logic out the Punisher war zone. Right. Yeah, yeah. But... we could be here all day. <laughs> we could be here doing that a long shit. time. Yeah. But it did. Like I was like, this moment exists out of context. Well, but in context, it doesn't make any sense. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk about one of my favorite parts of the movie, and that is the final shot. So a guy is trying to mug the goofy cop out of, what was the actor's Dash name? Dash Mihawk. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but okay. yes. And in the background, we see a neon sign on a church that says, Jesus saves. The Jesus part fizzles out, and then the Punisher comes up and shoots the guy in the head, and it goes to black, and the goofy cop says, great, now I have brains on my jacket. Mm-hmm. End of movie. <laughs> uh, all right, so Tommy. Yeah, I love it. So... <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like I'm just kind of beating a dead horse here with how I think that, uh, I mean, it's funny, the Jesus thing definitely takes all the kind of redemptive qualities out and makes it pretty clear as day that, hey, this is not a hero. Uh, And yeah, I guess. Wait, you don't think that makes him a hero? I mean, the Jesus goes out and it's Punisher saves. Like, Mm, he's the the savior. That's, That's the argument at the end of this movie. Um. It's interesting that you say that. I can see that now. But I still think that there's a reading that the argument is that, like, hey, there's there's no saving going on here. Mm. That uh, this is just a man's quest for vengeance. Kind of like Jigsaw. There's no, there's no justice. There's just a – what do you mean? Well, Jigsaw says, you know, stop praying to your imaginary friend or something like that to the little girl. <laughs> whenever, whenever. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah I mean, um, this is a very nihilistic movie. I mean – Definitely. I mean, just the, the world's violence fucked itself. up, and who's gonna fix it? If Punisher is, goddamn it! If the police can't do it, okay. Then so get bring on the Punisher. Who else will, Jared? You mentioned the thing about whether the Punisher is actually a good guy or a bad guy, and I'm having a hard time really nailing how self-aware this movie is as a quote bad movie, because mm-hmm. one of the bad thing- movie. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this is a great movie. I think it's, I like the movie a lot, but okay, so one of the things that really stands out to me is the actress that plays Mrs. Donatelli is really bad. Did you guys feel that? What is, Mr. Don, Mrs. Donatelli is the, the wife of the mobster? Or who, no. Or, no, that's Julie Benz. Is that the, is that who you're talking about? The, the mother who's wid, the widow's yes, wife. Okay. Yes. All right, yeah, yeah. Did, you, did yeah. you guys, did you get the same impression? She was not, a, yeah, she was not the best actress. She, she has a thankless role here, I think. It's I don't, like, uh, yeah. what is, what do you, I, I, there's I don't nothing know. to do like, with it. Were you, were, are you saying it's like Sharknado bad? Like, like. Maybe. See, I wouldn't say that. I don't, well, but in the sense that I'm saying at the end of the film, Mrs. Donatelli tells Castle that he's one of the good guys. I don't think that she's deliberately playing it bad but i do think that her performance is a step down from most other people in this movie and 
I don't know. I found myself asking, are we supposed to believe that he's actually a good guy in this movie? And because even if you were to argue that, well, he saves Mrs. Donatelli and Grace, he's a good guy. I mean, he's really just doing it because he feels guilty about his son. It's pretty selfish, his son and his wife. Selfish? Yeah, there's all these flashbacks of him like wanting to make it right with his family. I'm saying that. Yeah, but mm. he can't make it right with his family. That's the point. He he, it's over with his family. His family's well, dead. Well, I'm not saying Goodbye. that it's actually going to make a difference, but <laughs> that, at that, least that's at the least point. So that, that's psychologically, why, uh, this is all he. It's not like oh, he's getting anything out of this. Really, he's fucking going through hell to help people because he wishes he could go back in time and help his family. How dare you, Jared? Okay, what about the performance thing? I, 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 I see where you're coming from because it is a shitty performance, but I, I think that that's just, like you said, she didn't have much to work with, and that's less, I think that Lexi edited what she had what she had in front of her, and I don't think that it but was there, meant to be it's, shitty. It's unfortunate because that actress kind of gets thrown under the bus because other su- supposedly, quote, serious moments are kind of just brushed by. Like, for example, when Newman, I'm just going to call him Newman because mm-hmm. he's always going to be Newman for me. <laughs> Newman dies... And it, we feel absolutely nothing. It almost, once again, comes off as a bit of a joke when he just gets shot in the head, no remorse, no grief, no even scene where Castle is looking at him and feels regret. That's not true. Well, that, uh, yeah, I don't think that's true. Because whenever he's like, just shoot me, just shoot me, you're supposed to think, oh, man, you're sacrificing yourself for these people. And then and then basically he takes them up on that. He, he like No, but he tries to— Kill he, both he, and he, fucks up. He no, he really he knows he's not going to be able to get Newman really, but he he goes for the other guy, makes sure he gets the gun off of the girl, and then whatever happens to Newman, you know, his friend, whatever, he's an arms dealer that he he can deal with it. Yeah, you know? that's how I perceived it too. And also, they have that moment after they leave the hotel, and uh, what, I think it's Colin Salmon's character, the mm-hmm. FBI copy asks, like, "What about you know Newman, or what what about that Wayne Knight character?" And they're like, "Oh, he didn't he didn't make it." I guess I'm saying. I mean, there is that like that moment. There are few times in the movie where there's any kind of seriousness, and I feel like it was all piled on the shoulders of the actress who plays Mrs. Donatelli. I agree. Those scenes are definitely out of place in the movie. She's at a different tone than because, the rest of the movie. Yeah, that it doesn't. Everything it doesn't carry else, over. everything else is under so, the seriousness is undercut, and it seems like in order for the movie to have any kind of arc or moral center she just had to say this line that wasn't going to work yeah. no matter what no it feels like they shortchange her arc like uh, it doesn't make any her her motivations don't make sense in this movie like she hates the punisher she he killed her husband and then he right, saves her right. once and then she's like i love you punisher yeah. thank god for you right like he's the one that got them in this situation yeah you're right uh oh and i forgot one of my favorite moments it is where is it Oh, so Budiansky enters the office of the Punisher Task Force, and you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, the old library. It says, uh, which drawer do I look at? The alleged Punisher murders. And then he just goes, all of them. <laughs> and it's this, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's quite as big as the end shot of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where there's like that huge warehouse, but it is a office room filled with thousands of papers and we're meant to believe and this is more what i'm talking about is it's a great cut i want to know what he was going to get from those files like what was he going to learn from them <laughs> oh how the punisher killed this person well, this I'm, way? but see i'm wondering it's like okay so the punisher has killed literally yeah. thousands of people are we meant to believe there's no real guidance here it's like are we meant to believe that wow he really cleaned up the city or are we meant to believe that this guy doesn't give a fuck and he just kills indiscriminately and 
No, he killed kills, the bad guys. Yeah, he only kills like the the first he time kill? he kills an an agent, an undercover agent. He feels it, real bad. It, like he feels like horrific. He's gonna retire. Like I think the thought is he only kills all, only bad guys. <sighs> yeah, up to this point. But there is this kind of relishing in the excess of killing thousands of people, mm-hmm. which uh, bad guys. Yeah, bad guys though. There's a distinction. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I feel like they don't go out of their way to make that distinction. Oh, but... <laughs> These people are like like, like the worst mafia people, you know? Uh, all thousands of the people in those the people files. That we, everybody that we see him kill sure. you know, is in, in the seri- fucked in, up. In, in the all, series of like three days that this movie takes place. Right, so then you can extrapolate that to the files. You know? Right, all thousand of those people must have been horrible. Right, I mean, I bet the city's I think looking that, really I, nice I actually now. think that's what this movie is arguing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I believe you. I mean, <laughs> but I do think that some tonal things are happening in this movie that at least justify bringing mm-hmm. up the question of whether or not if whether this is supposed to alter our take on the well, not they, supposed to or if it functions to alter our how serious we take superheroes or especially the Punisher. Well, they do ask who punishes the Punisher at a certain point in this movie, oh, and then they never and answer. What's the answer? They, yeah, there's, there, there, is no, there is no. He no like answer. he just like stares. He just stares like vaguely at her. I think it's Julie Benz that asked that question. He just stares at her. Yeah. Uh, also, the part where what was it? It's when he's about he's being the cop is reading him his rights or this guy's rights and then the Punisher in a wide shot just comes and shoots the guy in the head and the guy's like, <laughs> damn it, castle! <laughs> I love whenever the dude uh, handcuffs him. You know, yeah. and then he's just like, yeah, the right to shut the fuck up! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, one other thing I uh, noticed about this movie was some... It's, it's interesting when you revisit movies that were made during the Bush era now... Mm. Because you start noticing things that are like, oh, you don't really uh, hear those kind of criticisms in movies anymore these days. So, for example, during the uh, Uncle Sam army section mm-hmm. where Jigsaw's gathering this army, he says, or his brother says, where do we get an army from? And he says, just like Uncle Sam, bro, we recruit in troubled neighborhoods, offer a hundred grand toward a college education they'll never get and promise nobody ever has to go to Iraq. <laughs> and then... But then he recruits other gangs. That's that also confused me. Yeah, like he doesn't recruit like uh, the poor people. He recruits like the, well, the yakuza you... and the the Irish ma- mafia and like yeah, <laughs> it's a lazy joke. I mean, if you wanted to kind of go over the top with it, you could say that oh well, you know they're Asian, black, Irish stereotypes yes. from poor neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But I think probably not that much thought was put into it. <laughs> Uh, and then there's another line where Jigsaw gives the terrorists uh, gives up the terrorist in exchange for immunity, and the Punisher says, or I'm sorry, the cop says, unless you got a videotape of Rizzotti talking to them, we can't even give him a parking ticket. And Jigsaw's like, it's a fucked up system you're sworn to protect. And by the way, if that is, we're supposed to look at the police department as inescapably corrupt, and that the Punisher is just just from that part. I don't know. It doesn't really work for me. I don't think the police are corrupt in this movie. Like typically, they're not, and like yeah. yeah, they're not corrupt at all. They're just like they they have to make this deal with Jigsaw in order to stop a terrorist attack. Like they're doing the best they can. It's just the system can't prosecute everybody. Why? Well, it's the Department of Homeland Security yeah. that ultimately hones in on those Russians who are trying to sell ma or sell bombs yeah. to terrorists. But it is depicted. I think that the Department of Homeland Security basically just comes in, takes over everything, and basically makes it 
really hard for the local cops to do their job effectively because they take top priority in everything. This is a sequel to the first one, right? So I, it's like, like I, I feel like we're supposed to, in, in Lexi's mind, we're, we're already supposed to know that or assume that the Punisher, you know, is a hero, an anti-hero, and you already feel one way about him and that this is just another adventure he's on. You know, kind of a thing. This isn't an origin story anymore. No, it's not. Yeah, so uh, uh, I don't remember anything about the first Punisher, so I, I don't know the either. lesson we learned at the end of it. I think they categorize this as a reboot and not a sequel. Really? I think that's, yeah, that's the the stance really? on it. Um, Only because they had to recast Thomas Jane? Pretty much, I think so. When was the last time you saw the first movie? Oh, God, when it came out in theaters. Okay, yeah, me too, so I don't really remember at all. But it was it's, very grim and serious, It right? is super serious. They, like, make it like a Shakespearean tragedy where, like, John Travolta, like, act, like oh, the Punisher yeah. the Punisher convinces John Travolta that his wife is against him. And then he gets John Travolta to literally, I think, kill his wife and turn on his own people. Um, it's much more like, yeah, it's much more that, yeah. that kind of thing. All I'm saying is that usually in these kind of movies where we have somebody going against the law, it definitely helps if you depict the law as corrupt because then mm-hmm. you're at least showing that there is a – that it it's a necessity to have someone like the Punisher. Otherwise, nothing's ever going to get done. We don't really see that in this movie. No, here they're in stasis. They're like they're, – they're compatico. The law gets the criminals they can they can get. And then if they can't get them, the Punisher picks up the slack. It's like, a nice it's collaboration. Very, yeah, it's like, yeah, you're right. They're working together. Yeah. I kind of so, like I kind of like that it's not the typical corrupt cop guy. I was watching this movie Peppermint with Jennifer Garner, and you're just like waiting, like, oh, who's the corrupt police officer? Oh my god! So I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm glad that like Dash Mihawk isn't like a corrupt working for Jigsaw. You know, I like that he's, he's like, just work, like yeah, a he's just uh, yeah. <laughs> but he is like such a he's a fanboy fan of the Punisher, and yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about for this movie? You had talked about whether or not this is a deliberately bad, a deliberately bad movie. Not deliberately, that, but self-aware. Yeah, to and, the point, like at some point when you're making this movie, you're like, guys, this movie is not going to be good. Let's fuck with it. Let's play yes. it up. And that's what I don't like about this movie. Like, it lacks sincerity to me. It uh-huh. lacks the conviction of its of its of its merits. Um, it's, really, it, it, like it, it's very hyper aware that every. Like, I feel like Lexi Alexander came on was like, "This movie is super dumb. Let me make a movie that's constantly making fun of how dumb it is, mm-hmm. and thus it'll be okay." Versus something honest like The Room, where it's like everybody in that mm. movie thinks they're making a great movie, and then it doesn't quite work. They 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 aim for the stars, but they come up short. Here the the aim is much less, and I, I would say that that's even more thought than than what they put into it. To me, it's <laughs> it's literally they did, they didn't make a dumb movie; they made a, an extreme movie. They were like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, when instead of your normal action movie, when you know, if, uh, instead of a normal guy just getting punched, we're gonna have a guy get punched, but it's gonna you're gonna see it like like there's gonna be this extra layer of gruesomeness to it, mm-hmm. and the, because she just wanted to make a hardcore, you know, she's an MMA fighter. She's like, I want to be, you know, make this high octane movie that's more than your average action movie, and she, I think she did it. It's like a pretty impressive, uh, practical effects a lot of times too. Like, uh, uh, I think it works. I don't think it's trying to be dumb. It, it is like I think. I think it's res- not trying to be dumb, but kind of resigned itself in embracing a dumbness. It has this very cold nature to it. It's like you know, like we were talking about the nihilism of it. You know, like like things are happening. People, no one gives a fuck about anybody in this movie or anything, and uh, crazy shits happening. And I think that's on purpose. 
And I don't think that that makes it like bad. I think it just makes it like its own, it's a style. Yeah, I mean, when you call a movie bad, it can mean a lot of different things. I mean, yeah, there are movies that I enjoy and like that. I still think that there are some, like, if there are poor, poor performances in a movie, especially from a main lead, it kind of renders the movie bad in a way. But that doesn't mean I still can't like it and enjoy it. I'd say mm-hmm. good movie with poor performances rather than bad movie because there's poor performances in it. Okay. So, it's, a, it's a small distinction. Now, give me, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't believe there are things, such such a thing as a movie that's so bad it's good. To you, that's just no, a good I movie. No, I do. Right? I, I know what people are talking about when they mean that, but, but like, you know, I'm with you that, that you know, there's... I, I there's disagree. Good, there's good movies, and then there's bad movies, but it's all subjective, but, like, the whole, like, idea that, like, oh, I love how shitty this movie is, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you it rubs, just seem like an asshole. It rubs me the wrong way, too, and I think it's why I dislike this movie a lot. Because um, there has like I there are movies that you either like or you don't like, but not but liking a movie because you feel better than it, or that no. you... Like, I love I, watching The yeah, Room, exactly. I love The Room and stuff, but I love, because I love watching these people, like, attempting to make a movie movie and then kind of failing you know and that's fun to watch i don't but and and yeah i would call the room an awful movie by any normal standard but i have a great time watching it you know so i yeah is that a bad so bad it's good movie i don't know i guess so i still think that vampire's kiss is a better corollary here because even when they were making that movie it was like and you can and I've listened to the director's commentary. They say, like, we just didn't know what the fuck we were doing. Or we were just like, we're making a crazy movie. Fuck it. You know, and, and mm-hmm. that's the kind of feeling that I get from this movie. And the reason why I brought up yeah. Vampire's Kiss earlier is because I was arguing that in doing that, they create a character that's impossible to identify with. And I feel like they do something similar here for The Punisher, which I find interesting because it functions very differently than The Punisher that we've seen lately. You see, I, for me, The Punisher is the only reserved character in this movie, really. Like, mm-hmm. uh, everybody else is so over the top that yeah. the only one that you can identify with is The Punisher. Like, his there's actions no... are over the top. Him punching through a guy's face or yeah. rocket launching a mm-hmm. guy But his demeanor while yeah. he does it was just yeah. stone cold... Great. Nothing. Right. Ray yeah. Stevenson plays this movie straight, like completely, yeah. honestly straight. Like I don't, he never winks at the camera. Like, like you Dominic don't need West him does. to do a maniacal, silly laugh after he kills a guy with a rocket launcher. <laughs> the the act itself mm-hmm. is ridiculous enough. Does or, he even have any like sort of catchphrases in this? I don't think so. Right? He doesn't like do any like catch lines or anything like that. Right? After he kills somebody. <sighs> I'm going to put you out of my misery. Does he say Did that? Did he say that? <laughs> he says that when he throws <laughs> that the guy into the fire. Right, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's not, that's not, that's not right, great. That's, that's, that could be workshopped a little bit. Yeah, he's trying. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ryan, uh, let's go into the mailbag. We got some voicemails up. Let's do uh, it. Let's see what we got. All right. We oh, got... by the way, before we get into that, if you guys want to give us a call, 213-534-8807 or 21-ELF-HUT or ELF-GUT-07. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially if you want us to feature your version of screaming, show me the meaning at the beginning. Yeah, I really liked uh, the guy today, uh, Rachel, the presidential candidate. Who the Rachel, I'm the presidential so voting candidate. For. Please have me as I'm your running. I want to be your running mate, baby. <laughs> Come on, let's talk. All right, we got Andrew talking about Office Space. Let's hit it, Andrew. What's up, Wisecrack? This is Andrew here. Um, I'm just calling in. Uh, you mentioned something on the last podcast on the uh, Office Space about a uh, woman that has spilled coffee on herself and actually gained a pretty uh, absorbent amount of money. Um, I just want to let you all know that uh, this is actually a really interesting topic. It was part of a 
large multi-corporate uh, uh, misinformation campaign that you can look into uh, uh, not too many years back where they were actually trying to create a, uh, a, a zeitgeist, kind of like a stigma in America on how uh, how easy it was to, to uh, sue people, and this actually decreased the amount of individuals who were going after companies because created a, uh, a feeling in the American public uh, as well as in uh, the international um, community that it was so easy to sue people that it was so much better just not to do it in the first place. And uh, this woman, unfortunately, actually had some pretty severe burns and, uh, uh, her, you know, got pretty messed up. And uh, she didn't receive much money from McDonald's at all. In fact, if I'm correct, she received something around the amount of under $50. Um, it's just really interesting thing, the whole and whole entire idea of corporate America kind of kind of taking over, you know, the public side guys and putting an idea out there for their own benefit. Just, you know, hope you have an excellent day. So his name was Andrew, did you say? I forget. Anyway. Oh, uh, yes, it's Andrew. Okay. So, Andrew, a couple things. One, you're totally right. I was... I was undereducated in this, and actually, a couple people in the live chat were talking about how that, uh, how she actually was a, a victim. And but more to your point, when I brought that up in the podcast, I was talking about how there was a zeitgeist. Now, whether that was kind of uh, created by corporations, that's the point. Is that in the '90s there was this kind of popular opinion of like oh you know people just suing everybody to get rich and whether that was created by corporations to protect themselves or it wasn't uh it still existed but yeah good catch i apologize for being underinformed on that case uh what else we got all right um thanks a lot for the voicemail andrew appreciate it uh next we got joe talking about the fire festival let's hit it joe Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> What's up, Wisecrack? This is Joe, who gave you Ryan's Show Me the Meaning last time. Um, we're calling about the Fire Fest podcast. Or, yeah, I uh, just caught up on that one. Um, I was calling with a thought about what you guys are talking about with being in the business of business. Um, Aziz Ansari's character in Parts and Rec um, with his company, Entertainment 720. Uh, it reminds me of my other favorite show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, when Frank and Charlie are doing business. Or Frank gets back in business, and Charlie asks the question, like, what do we do? And Frank says, well, what do you mean, what do we do? We make money. Um, Charlie says, well, what do we make? Like, what do we produce? Frank says, we produce wealth. And Charlie keeps insisting on this, and he, <laughs> Frank gets, you know, as Frank Reynolds does, super racist and just says, uh, let the people in China worry about that. Um, but so I have this huge background in theology and I've actually thought about this a lot. Um, kind of with the way we've industrialized everything. Um, even things that artisans once made are industrialized and we, like, we've lost the craft of making something from start to finish. Like, if you think about it, like, when's the last time you bought a pair of shoes that someone made every part of that shoe for? Uh, and that a factory didn't do it? Or when's the last time you, you know, bought a shirt that somebody crafted? They didn't just, you know, use a printer to print some funny slogan on the shirt. Um, so I just kind of wanted to pick your guys' brains on 
on your thoughts on this kind of idea of um, like where we're at. Is that even possible to buy from an independent maker or a creator? You know, because you look. I feel like we all have those friends, but their their prices are outrageous, and you'd love to support them, but it's just not realistic for the world we live in. So from the theological standpoint, right, like it's much better to support the individual, to support the artisan rather than just the business or the company or the production. Anyway, I wanted to pick your guys' thoughts. Uh, Huge fan of everything you guys do. Um, Yeah, hope you guys are doing well. Um, Keep it up. Well, thank you, sir. Ryan uh, Ryan and Tommy, I know you both saw the FIRE documentary. You were not on that podcast. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we live in a world where you know corporations can decrease their prices and put you know small business owners out of business so easily. I mean, that's how that's how these corporations run. They they are able to mass produce things at low prices, put everybody out of business, and then raise their prices afterwards. Um, I will say though that the the ability to make things now yourself has I think greatly improved. Like there are three D print models, there are you know Etsy, there's you know all these different things that you can theoretically do yourself, but it's just so hard. To to, I think, make a living doing those things, um, especially when you're up against a billion-dollar corporation. Yeah, especially because with all those things, it also decreases the barrier to entry because then anyone can have an Etsy or anyone can do any of those things. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, I think we're in a good time for, pe- you know, for people who make stuff because— it's I a mean, good time for people to make stuff, but a, but a bad time to make money off of that no, stuff. No, I think there is a good time to make money off of that. I mean, mm-hmm. Patreon, Kickstarter, all that stuff, people are making their living, you know, off of their fans at a more, way more than 10, 15, 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, what? you're never going to compete, you know, but go on Shark Tank or something if you want to, like, uh, uh, get your soap into Walmart. But. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate in that sense. Like, I remember when I was a kid, did you guys ever go to Newgrounds.com? Like, yeah. Like, just early internet comedy and stuff like that. I don't think any of those. Those people worked so hard on some of those animations and those shows, and there was just no monetization back then. Right. You know, I don't think any of them ever probably saw a cent. And uh, Probably lost you know, a lot of money. Probably right. lost a lot of money. And so, uh, yeah, we're very fortunate to live in a time where there's some monetization for content, independent content creators. But if everybody can create it, doesn't that dilute the pool of money? Isn't oh, there a... Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, demand, baby, you got to be good. Get that quality perfect. up. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to know like what percentage of YouTubers or you know people on Etsy can make a living doing just tiny percent. That. Yeah. Oh, so, well, yeah. the amount yeah. of people yeah. who are on YouTube yeah. is mm-hmm. so many. I know. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All right, so we're going to go into the emails. You can cool. email us at movies at wisecrack.co. This one is from Patrick, and it's very important. He says, I just want to let you guys know that you inspired me to throw a Nick Cage party this past week. Whoa, <laughs> I awesome. had a meaning to see Adaptation and Vampire's Kiss for some time, and having watched your podcast on those two films sitting in my Watch Later queue prompt me to finally act on it. At our cage party, we watched Face Off, Adaptation, and Vampire's Triple Kiss. feature? Mm. It was a great time. Oh. Loved Adaptation. Nice. Loved laughing out loud together with slash at Vampire's Kiss. I also enjoyed introducing my friends to the zaniness of Face Off. Hell yeah. I am interested to hear if that was the actual order. Face Off, Adaptation, Vampire's Kiss. How would you schedule your triple feature for those, for those three? For those three. 
Um, I would go Vampire's Kiss one. Mm. I would go Face Off two. Adaptation three. Dude, adaptation people, is people going are tired. To, You're gonna do Adaptation yeah. last because Adaptation, no matter where you put it, is the slowest one. And even though how awesome it is, it's like I feel like that's the endurance movie. You always mm. have the endurance movie at the end. It's like, all right, guys, let's go. We've seen Face Off. We've seen a Vampire's Kiss. It's Adaptation. Uh, see, I would see. Uh, I would do Face Off first. That gets everybody amped. Then you do Adaptation, and then that brings everybody Vampire's down. Kiss. And then the Wimby. Midnight movie. Wow. Is Vampire's Kiss because it's fucking bonkers. And that's how... I start off with the bonkers movie to get everyone <laughs> on my uh, level. Yeah, that's right. I would do Vampire. I would actually do Vampire's Kiss. Then, ooh, you know what? No, I would do Adaptation. <laughs> then Adaptation just because it's great. But you got to get it out of the way first, just because no. it's a little bit slower. That's yeah. how you kill your party, man. <laughs> That's how you go. Let's get the slow no, one man, first. You're That's start, you're like it's you're starting two it hours off. Later. Yeah, you're starting it off in the <laughs> evening, late afternoon, and then when you start getting it, start getting late. You got a couple drinks in you, whatever. Uh -huh. Then you hit them with the face off, and then you hit them. And by the time everyone's blackout drunk, it's time for vampires. We kiss. just have different party philosophies. I guess we do. Guess. All right. <laughs> All right. This next one is from Marcus. Uh, this is about office space. He said, on the discussion of Peter's transition to construction work, I got a strong sense that the decision was motivated by the view of a happy life in stoicism, almost like Cincinnatus relinquishing power and returning to the farm, ignoring external influences and being happy with whatever task is at hand to be free from anger, envy and jealousy. Just a thought for you guys. I like that. Um, I think... There's a lot to be said about how he, yeah, it's just like his job gives him just, he's not looking for a million dollars anymore. He's mm -hmm. kind of resigned that ambition, and now he's just looking to live a decent life. He's happy on the construction site. Yeah. All right, uh, one more on Office Space. This is from, I hope I'm getting this right, Inyaki. So she says, I recently listened to the Office Space podcast and was delighted when Alec mentioned the siesta. Unfortunately, so Alec had asked, like, I wonder if siestas even still happen anymore. And so she says, unfortunately, this is pretty much non-existent these days in the workplace in Spain, no matter the origin or type of company. I'm not saying that some people don't still do it, but in urban environments with hectic timetables and long commutes, it's impossible to find time to go home after lunch and have a siesta. Same thing in factories since people have to adhere to a particular shift. Nowadays, it's pretty much relegated to weekends and holidays, especially if you had a heavy meal or a night out. Um, she goes on to say, on another note, I enjoyed the discussion about the so-called reputation economy with the cases like Uber ratings brilliantly exposed in the Black Mirror episode. I couldn't help but notice that this is something that has been happening in some industries and businesses such as consulting and finance, since probably the 80s and 90s. I know for a fact that many of the consulting firms and investment banks employ policies like the upper out. Some others routinely, routinely fire 5 to 10% of their staff each year, supposedly to avoid stagnation. Apart from business metrics, surely part of the decision process is based, off, based on appraisals and feedback from colleagues, colleagues and managers. So it is expected that people will buy into the corporate culture, eventually giving up some aspects of their individuality, or even worse, masquerading them, in order to stick around and don't lose status within the company or ultimately the job. It seems as if companies found the way to make employees police each other. Or was it the other way around, and people in the eternal quest for meaning invented all these rules and cultures in the workplace to feel part of something bigger? So if someone doesn't comply, they will be expelled, just like a tribesman who would be expelled if he didn't collaborate in hunting or other chores in the, in the tribe. 
I don't know. I'll let you guys discuss it since you probably have more insight. So this is actually something I think about a lot, and I've uh, I've talked to Alec about this a lot and how <sighs> I've noticed something, especially in Hollywood, but I think it's all industries, and how there's like an ideological dress code that you have to adhere to to be in Hollywood. You know, if you sure. think of ideology like fashion, you know, um, when I was a kid in middle school and you wanted to be one of the cool kids, you had to wear Abercrombie and Fitch. It was just the thing. These days, if you want to have any hope of making it into a writer's room in Hollywood or pretty much anything, there are uh, there's an ideological guideline that you basically have to adhere to. And my dad did this. My dad was a hippie. But then he, you know, started working in the financial industry. They had an ideological dress code that was much more conservative than Hollywood. And same thing happened to him. And this really bothers me. Yeah, I think that this idea of, and I don't know if it comes from the top down, like Inyaki is saying, or if it's just something that naturally manifests. I don't really know. But it's something that bothers me. I will say that the sort that the culture in writers' rooms is much more sort of I think free thinking than I think it would be in corporate America or well, a, sort hear. of a, a nine to five job. I mean, your job is ostensibly to come up with stuff. Yeah, and so I mean, you get every sort of idea possible. Um, well, that's again. good to hear. I mean, yeah, I think that man is an imitative beast, and you know, you're. Yeah. Always gonna uh, uh, try to conform. There's always a little bit of conformity, but it seems like there's more now than maybe there what used to be. Oh, I don't know about that, but it's just the fever pitch is much higher now. And another thing that bothers me is that let's just assume that. So let's say take the financial industry. We'll start talking about Hollywood. If perhaps your beliefs don't line up with the majority of people within the financial industry, but it's a really tough industry, and you'll pretty much do anything to make it. If there's, a, if there's a series of things that are keeping you from succeeding or getting that entry-level job, and one of them is your beliefs, well, shit, that's easy to change. I could just do that, you know, right now um, because, you know, and of course, I don't really know much about the financial industry, but I know in Hollywood, you know, when people's dreams are at stake, uh, yeah, people will kind of just give up anything. Well, also, I mean, there's all... It, it... Isn't that true in any situation, though? Don't we all just want to fit in and then we seek to, yeah. to, to modulate ourselves for yeah. the crowds? Like, I feel like that's just a I, human it, instinct. Well, there are definitely right. di- uh, different elements and different variables that we will modulate to fit into the crowd. I would at least like to think that our beliefs are something a bit holier mm-hmm. than, uh, for example, like literally what clothes you wear or what your haircut is or something like that. Um, but I don't know. You're talking about like po- like t- hanging out, talking about political beliefs and stuff, right? Yeah. Like more specifically. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, whenever you're around Hollywood, even not in writers' rooms or something like that, all the time people will speak to you as if they understand your like they know what your politics are because how could it be anything different? Like you're well, a human being, right? And you, you've heard that saying, uh, you know, uh, you don't talk about like religion and politics around oh, the dinner table. That's you know? that's gone. Yeah, yeah. That well, no, that that's. That's still around, right? I mean, like, like it's it's too, you don't talk about religion and politics ever. Basically, is the is the new saying, right? Really interesting. Well, no, I, I'm asking really, like, like, like. I mean, look, I, I mean, I've owned my own business for a while now, so I don't really have this experience of going into an office, especially since the kind of culture sure. war fever pitch has hit the high that it has recently. But I've only heard anecdotes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I don't. I rarely feel like muzzled or anything. It's it, you can you can say whatever you want, 
still. It's more just well, that's like good to hear. It's more no, I mean just right, but like, like uh, 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 it's more just you're, you're saying the reaction to it. You're it's more variable, so you're it's kind of like you wouldn't. You just don't feel as comfortable expressing yourself, right? That's kind of what you're saying. Well, in the in, in the example that Inyaki said, so for example, if uh, if you're talking about a corporate culture in which uh, like everyone in the office is bought into Casual Friday or something like that, and then if you're the one person that dissents against Casual Friday, I mean, Casual Friday is a bad example because it would probably be something a little bit more. Okay, essential. we'll say someone's it's... super against Casual Friday. <laughs> Continue. Right, but like. Uh, or okay, let's say you work for Tom's Shoes. Okay, and uh, you know, Tom, you know what Tom's Shoes is. The whole no. idea is that for every pair of shoes that you buy, they give a pair of shoes to kids in Africa. Now, I'm yeah. imagining if you work at Tom's Shoes, you are living and breathing that ethos of charity. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine I worked at Tom's Shoes and I said, "Hey guys, you know, this is kind of fucked up and this is kind of bullshit because there are shoemakers in Africa that are being put out of business." buy Tom's shoes, and this is actually kind of harming the community's ability to create a, whatever, a, a, a community that can provide for itself. That might be an unpopular opinion that it would be best, especially if you're not a manager, if you're just an underling, it'd probably be best if you kept that opinion to yourself. And I think that that's kind of what more of what Inyaki's talking Hasn't about. Hasn't that always been true, though? Like, I feel like, I, I, that feels no different than 30 some odd years ago. yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I said the same thing happened to my dad in in the financial industry. I'm just saying it kind of sucks. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Kind of, I think I've said this on the podcast before. Like, you know, if you need something, if you need a job, yeah, if you, like, probably play it safe. But, you know, the people, unfortunately, that can get away with saying whatever the fuck they want in this country, you know, a la Donald Trump or something, is if you have a bazillion dollars and you literally – all right, I'm not going to lose a job. I'm not going to lose, even if I lose, you know, PR or whatever, who gives a fuck? You know, like, I have all the money in the world. So that's why there's going to be this weird trend, I feel like, where only the, you know, the wellest to, to do amongst us are going to be able to really have these mouthpieces or feel the most comfortable to say whatever they want. And people who actually have to, like, provide for their families and stuff, it's like, well, I want to fucking say whatever, but I don't want to lose my job, whatever, blah, 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 blah. you know, so it's going to have this weird effect. Sure. I mean, we do see repercussions for people in power now that are saying whatever they want, with, I mean, the exception of Trump. I mean, we do see that now, um, just off the top of my head, you know, the James Gunn Twitter situation, like, people... Well, that's a whole thing. Yeah, that's a company, thing, though. Yeah. That's, you know, there's difference between that and politics, you know, people that get elected, I guess. Right. There's also the question of, who the fuck cares about Twitter? But mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Punisher War Zone. Oh, yeah. Punisher War Zone. Uh, where can we find you guys on the internet, Ryan? Uh, I release comedy videos on Ryan Shorts every week. Just released the In Memoriam for the Avengers on there. And uh, you can find me on there or the Funhouse channel, I guess. Now I'm going to be playing Grand Theft Auto next yeah, week. When, oh, it's next coming out next week. <laughs> I think I'm, yeah, I think it's it, it's a sporadic schedule over there. We'll okay. see. Are you Look any good? That. No, I fucking suck. That's part okay. of the video. Though. <laughs> Make sure if you see that video to give Ryan some shit in the comments. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, why Tommy, where can we find you on the internet? Sure. I mean, I have a Twitter feed. I barely uh, ever uh, am on. So it's like at, a mentally yeah, healthy human. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, good job. Yeah, at TC forty nine forty nine. Cool. <laughs> 
All right, so in terms of what we got coming up, uh, we're doing the Elizabeth Theranos, or the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos documentary. When's that mm. coming out? I think that's the week after next, so I don't Dude, know what I we're doing next week. Wait. We're going to have Helen on that one because Helen, Elizabeth Holmes was her hero. <laughs> and, and then, until? Until the news came mm. out. Oh, I thought it was so. going to be like, she became my hero after I heard this story. <laughs> no, 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 before a, the story came out. What a con. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to do that. Uh, we'll probably fit in another movie next week. But until then... We'll see you guys. Thanks for listening. Goodbye from Hollywood, California.